This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, welcome to the Oak Shade Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. What's up today? We're dropping an episode that we had scheduled for the 17th. It's been drawn to my attention via Instagram comments that some direct messages saying, Hey, Dan, um, there's some rumors on Rock Slide's hunting forum about you getting a ticket for riding your dirt bike illegally while elk hunting so if you're tuning in because you kind of like some of that drama that little tmz elk hunting i know it's coming up to the off season or after elk season and those things kind of pick up and i do want to say hey ryan avery got nothing but love for you uh robbie denning uh mule deer legend i know ryan i don't know robbie but i'm sure the positivity outweighs the negativity at your website i for one will not get an account there um, I'm not, it's not, I am, I like the idea of what you guys got going on. I was into hunting forums in the 2000s. Uh, I got a lot of information out of those. I was a member of um, Bowsight and uh, still have friends from Bowsight uh, that I met online. But honestly, in this day and age, I, I don't have time to even, I have hardly any time to do catch my breath with family and kids. And, and I don't, I'm not going to get on there and create um, a username and I would get lambasted regardless regardless because there's some people that don't like you and I understand that I appreciate that but I am going to get this podcast dropped today like I said um, it's part two every year we do like an annual um, recap of our elk hunting season via the podcast so we can like kind of share more the the deeper details than just like a couple of YouTube or Instagram clips and uh, this year's no different we actually got back um, on the 28th of September our hunt got cut short you're going to find out why on this podcast we, we just always record the day we get back or the next day just because why well, it's fresh in our mind. Uh, so this one was already in the hopper and scheduled. We're going to bump it out and drop it today. Um, so if you are a regular listener, you're going to kind of hear like, why is part two out when I haven't even heard part one? Well, this is why. And um, basically for those that only listen to this podcast to kind of get some juicy gossip or whatever, bottom line is I did not get a ticket or written warning from any fishing game officer today is october 5th 2022 but somebody did and so 
we're going to share all those details we did anyways um i know jake and i sat down and, and tim producer tim and we just said we have always been transparent um we don't know if this will people will find out about this but it would be better if we did it first and i think a lot of people can learn from basically our mistake jake's mistake and then my mistake for just being associated there um so we're going to be transparent that's what this podcast is dedicated for is uh, at the end we share about that but the whole thing is just recapping um our phase two of our you know big long elk bender um i hope you learned something from this i hope that um you appreciate our transparency uh that's def- definitely always been our goal here if you don't like us that's okay and if you do like us that's okay but without further ado this is the oak shape podcast this is part two and again part one will drop at its normal time which will be monday the 10th and it's just a little half-assed backwards right now because of a little elk drama but here we go hey guys dan the fitness men here sitting down with jake webb what's up jake what's going on how are you? Pretty good. Yep. Um, we are licking our wounds. We just got back from the last hunt in September. Oh man, that's a doozy story. <laughs> we're going to have to tell all the details about that, but we're going to keep it in order. So last time we left off, we had tagged out in New Mexico, um, killed in the evening, packed it out in the dark, moved camp in the dark, drove to Salt Lake City. Got there at nine o'clock in the morning because I wanted to drop my meat off at a butcher, which I hate doing, by the way. I'm kind of a butcher yourself kind of guy. And it seems like more and more people are interested in that content. Um, That is a good place where we dropped it off. And they do hang it and age it properly. Like they do a legit job. It's just pain to have somebody else do something that I know how to do. That's what bothers me. (laughs) Myers Draper out of a... Utah there, not too far from Salt Lake City. I've used them in the past. The only reason I use them is because I don't have to drive all the way home with the meat and burn precious finite September days. But we went there before, and I know that they have a rule where they they hang your meat for two weeks, which is what I do anyways. Awesome. Only thing that kind of sucks is if you debone anything, they charge you like 300% more per pound. Um, And that New Mexico bull I had shot through both lungs with that single bubble. We already talked about it in the last episode. Um, and then that follow-up shot broke his scap and went out the neck. So pretty much kind of bloodshot all over that shoulder. Of course, I'm going to debone that meat. Like I'm not going to give you a front quarter with bloodshot on it. So, um, they're going to charge you for any like loose meat. So I take all the neck and as much rib and and flank and brisket and backstrap and tenderloin and so just just know that they're going to charge you more per pound there but still they do a really good job what was her reasoning on um charging more for the quarter being separated like i understand ease of hanging it and having the bone in there but was there a reason specifically a lot of people don't know what they're doing and i'm not saying i absolutely know what i'm doing but i've deboned a lot of shoulders with a butcher even and a lot of people will just kind of hack it up. And so it's going to be a lot of work for them. The more meat together in one piece, they, they know what they're doing. They're pros. They can just butcher it faster. Um, so there's just less dirt, less, less, less time, less. So they have to charge more for labor. It usually will take them longer. Gotcha. That's why. Um, and I totally understand it. And they're a small business and I just wanted to give them a plug. I told her that they do a great job. Uh, the shipping to get it here will be really expensive. So if anyone's listening and like it's now in the next week or two, you're driving from 
Utah to Washington State. I don't know why you would want to do that, but if you are, throw my meat in the back. I'll have to give you a workout and uh, give you some swag, and I don't know what else I can give you, a slap on the ass. So I <laughs> got the meat dropped off, and then it was like drove, drove to your truck and shook your hand, said, thanks for filming me in New Mexico. And you were headed to Wyoming and I was headed to Idaho and we were kind of separating our ways. And we knew like, as far as filming hunts and YouTube and stuff, we knew like we would just be doing little snackable bits, pieces, vlogging, like nothing cinematic like we did in New Mexico. So it was like, well, Jake, good luck. Um, I guess I'll see you in October. Yeah. I, you know, it is a drive, but after eating dehydrated food and stuff like that for that long first thing I did when I got to the last gas station is grabbed a pizza, crushed some carbs, got lots of Gatorade, and then drove on in, got camp set up. So I was actually able to get to where I wanted to have my main camp, get my main camp set up, and got ready for that morning hunt. So That's cool. I went and got, well, I went to a new-to-me area, a new-to-me unit. Picked kind of a good place to camp, set up camp, and I just wanted to shoot my bow. So I shot my bow, um, and that was it. I mean, I hadn't slept in two days. So I was like in bed right as it was getting dark. I had no, like, I glassed a little from camp if you want to count that, but like I was smoked. But I had a huge plan for the next day. Um, And so I'll just kind of go through my first day, then you go through your first day. Um, So my first day in Idaho, like the first hunting day, I woke up new to the area and I immediately like almost screwed up someone else's hunt. I go up this, this road in the dark and, uh, I come around the corner and I see that their truck's parked, but the road keeps going. And on my map, it shows that the road like dead ends. And so I go past their truck and I go around this corner and there's two guys like walking in with their bows and I can tell by the guy's body language. He's not happy to see me on my bike. And so I, I pull up and I'm like, Hey man, what's going on? And he's like, we're going hunting. And I'm like, Oh cool. Um, is there a reason why you parked your truck way back there? And he's like, yeah, there are elk up here and we're hunting them. And I said, totally get it. I will get out of your hair. And so I won 80 out of there. I mean, I didn't want to screw up their hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, legally I could have kept driving past, but that's just a jerk thing to do. And like, I do really try to be courteous yeah. when public land elk hunting, obviously like more now than ever, just because like you get a bad reputation or whatever. And, and honestly, these guys were in their fifties and I was like, freaking good luck. I hope you crush one. Come find me if you need help packing out. Yeah. So, um, I must've picked a good road. I just, they, they beat me up there. And, and so I backed out and I went and checked a couple other, I was just kind of getting to know the area, the access, the bottlenecks. I was kind of like doing my survey. Unfortunately, it was in the morning when it's like prime time. But what I ended up doing was just driving back to camp and I loaded, um, got to camp and I got my Kafaru spike camp bag and I filled it with like everything to go spike camp hunting for like five days worth of gear. So my spike camp bag weighs easily 70 pounds, like five days of food, my sleep system. So run in um, Gossamer tent, which is new to me. It's awesome. You use two trekking poles to keep it upright. Um, I packed in um, Big Agnes uh, pad. I'm using a Western mountaineering sleeping bag, like ultralight and all my water filtration, all the stuff to spike camp, bottom line. Yep. And then I have a rack on the back of my dirt bike. So I use like four ratchet straps. And if you guys ride dirt bikes, you'll know that like putting any weight on the back of your bike sucks. I loaded up my spike camp bag secured it down with my straps and 
rode in during the daylight, like late morning. And I bet I went, I don't know how many miles, at least five, maybe more. Um, could I hike in that far? Absolutely. But, um, just rode my spike camp bag in, parked my bike at the camp and just camped in the middle of nowhere off this, uh, you know, motorcycle trail. So I'm there and I'm by myself, man. Like there is no boot tracks. There is no horse tracks. There's no hunting pressure. There are no people. Whereas where I, I was camped, I bet there was 20 camps spread yeah. out over a couple square miles. So that was kind of cool to get away from pressure. Um, I will say though, uh, I can fast forward the next three days I spent hunting out of that camp. Um, I'd only hear like maybe three, four bugles tops a day, nothing close by. And then I would end up doing insane miles and elevation gain loss just to get kind of close to elk. And it was still pretty early to where they kind of talk at dark at first light. And then it seems like as soon as the thermals think about changing, they're bedded, it's, they shut up. And then you're kind of spending the whole day, like either trying to get an elk to talk or trying to glass one or trying to spot one. And when we make these, like the video for the public land hustle, you'll see like I was struggling, man. Like it was not good hunting. And so by three days of that, yep. I was like, I packed my entire camp up in the dark and I was like, I'm riding out of here. Um, luckily, once I packed everything up on my bike, I heard a bugle that day close to camp for the first time ever. And I ended up hunting and that led me into some really good elk hunting. I guess I just wasn't patient enough, but yeah, dude couple things about where I was is steep, deep, nasty. Um, hindsight, I would probably not ride that trail ever again. Uh, definitely wouldn't ride it in the dark. I should wear a helmet. Um, the, the, the bag, the camp bag system's awesome, but I mean, it's just so much can go wrong. Like flat tire, break yep. your chain, snap a gear shifter off, tip over, snap your levers. I mean, I've done it all. I have all the repair stuff in my truck, but Hunting by yourself that way maybe isn't the smartest. How did your first couple of days go in Wyoming? Um, so the spot that I went to, um, Dan, I, and Manny, which is one of Dan's friends that lives there, um, we've been to this spot before. But the way that we came in was with a horse from the backside, and it was a horrible hike in. So I came in from a different area where I was able to ride my dirt bike up. Um, so basically what I did that morning, I knew where water was because we've been there before. I knew kind of what the elk could do. So I got my Kafaru. I got all my hunting stuff set up and I left in the dark, rode up and I went all the way to a spot that I had pinned where I wanted to park, which was kind of close to our spike camp. And I started walking and I went down to one water source and just kind of was just cow calling, worked my way down in there found, I don't even know if I'd call them wallows. They're maybe three foot by three foot sections of water. And right away I'm finding predator tracks, like big cat tracks in the wallows, like on the sides. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, that's not great. That one track you showed me on your phone. That's a giant kitty cat. Like yeah. big, big, big. So for your guys perspective, I have like a picture of my hand down next to it. And this cat paw print is like bigger than my entire palm on my hand. But I went from there, didn't really like what I was seeing there, went around and there's, there's one Canyon. And before I left, 
Dan tells me, he's like, if I was you, I would not go down into that canyon by yourself because we both have been down there and there's a bowl that is down there, but it is the steepest, nastiest. It would suck to pack a bowl out of there. And on my way out, I bugled and there's a bowl down there and he would like answer, but he like did not want to play, did not want to talk. He's just down there hanging out. And it is very cliffy. Like it would take me multiple days to pack something out of there. And I'm just like, okay, like mental note. Yes, you're there, but I'm not going after you. So I went around and there's a big water source that I wanted to get eyes on to make sure there's water there. We had a huge bugle fest there previous years. And I wanted to get eyes on that to make sure that is still the situation. So I hiked all the way in, found the water so much more grass there than the previous years when we've been there. Um, and I have my tether system at camp and I was eyeballing that water to figure out where I could put my tree saddle to smoke a bowl off this water. But the thing that was kind of discouraging to me is there was no fresh tracks coming into that water source. So there's no main game trails coming in. There's no fresh tracks around the water. I mean, you could tell there was a couple of deer tracks and maybe one elk came and got water and left. So I wasn't super excited about that. Um, I did a little bit of cold calling there, waited there for a while. I'd left there. It was probably just after lunch and my first day, like I'm trying to locate elk. That's my plan. Like I'm not going to sit water my first day. Like there's no way after driving from New Mexico all the way to Wyoming, like that's going to happen. So um, I hiked back to my, my main camp, rode the bike, got all my stuff loaded up and there's a spot you have to hike in. You can't walk into this location. So I rode the bike, stopped and I hiked in my spike camp to a basin, um, where we know there's elk in there. So that next night I was hiking in got in enough time to hunt that evening. And that's when I found a big five with cows up high in this drainage. So walking in, there's a bull that we know where he is, but he's just not killable because of the wind. And he chuckles and he hangs out over by himself on the side of this Creek. And he kind of like patterns and he, he comes down and crosses somewhere, but we just haven't figured him out yet. But I got my, uh, MSR tent set up. I have a uh, sea to summit pad. I have all of my spike camp stuff set up, food hanging. I got water, everything ready to go. And I have enough food for four days. So my plan was to stay back there and seeing those elk that late, it was, it was too late for me to get on them based off of where they were. But I knew the area and I knew I was going to get up to the ridge and try to kind of get on their contour line the next morning. So, um, yeah, that next night I was spike camping in, in my tent up in the middle of Wyoming in a basin. So have you done, you've done a lot of solo elk hunting and backpack solo and spike. You're pretty comfortable doing that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and I, I love it too. So while you're doing that, I'm thinking about leaving the unit I was in. I mean, I was in some good country. I just wasn't seeing very many elk, wasn't hearing very many bugles. But like I said, the, the morning I was going to leave and ride out with my camp to my truck and just leave that unit, uh, I heard a bugle close to camp. So I kind of like, well, let's check this out. And 
that bull led me to several bulls, which led me to more bulls. And I guess I just was overlooking these elk. They were, they like to be way closer. It looked like I watched them all from a vantage, like bed so close to actual roads that you could drive a truck to and park. And I was just kind of like, oh, and I'm not going to bore you guys with the details, but I basically rode out that day, like to my truck, ditched all the backcountry gear and started hunting from my truck, which is funny that you leave your truck to go hunt elk in the sexy backcountry yep. only to find out like, and that's just this unit or where we were as, or this year. I don't know the why or the rhyme or the reason, but, um, that evening I went and hiked in towards where this just little patch of timber where I saw the elk go in bed, the elk mean one herd of several. Yep. And I'd say probably, at, you know, hour before dark cows started shotgunning out of the timber. And I'm, I'm actually not used to seeing that Jake, but like, it seemed like a cow and a calf would go high. A cow and a calf would go right. A cow and a calf would go left. Some would come out the bottom. It's like, they weren't like, they were a herd, but like, it was cool to go do your own thing. And so like, when I say shotgun, I mean, they just spread out and the bull kept bugling, but he stayed in the timber. And anyways, I, I was dodging cows and calves. I got some really cool footage up close, like 20 or less on some cows, no barking, everything's going good. And then one little calf that I didn't see sees me, does her little calf bark. Everybody's on full alert. Bull doesn't know what's going on. Got 30 minutes of daylight left. Cows start kind of heading towards the bull. And I'm like, screw this. I'm going to go right into that timber and I'm going to challenge this bull. And I hadn't made a sound yet. So anyways, that's what I did. And I got in there and he kind of slipped out the top of the timber. So I come up the top and they went up a couple hundred yards and I got like, I'm in the wide open sage and I ended up getting to a little tree and he was in a patch of teeny tiny trees. Couldn't see him. He couldn't see me. And I just started bugling, challenging him. And long story short, he comes out and he comes out, I think at 60 yards and he's broadside and he's a nice six point and me being the dumbass veteran elk hunter, I didn't use uh, a three, four, five pin slider this year. I was like, oh, I'm going to use this new cute black gold dual track. I love the sight picture. I can shoot tack with it. And what it is, is it's just a two pin vertical. It's like black gold's version of a fast eddy from black or from spot hog. And man, I love the sight picture. Uh, and I was like, oh, I know I can use two pins. Like I can rock around with the top pin at 30 and my second pin will be at 44. And, you know, I can kind of cover the gaps and I'd practice it. Well, <clears throat> I knew my bottom pin was at 60. And so I, it, for some reason, my bottom pin was at 60 and my top pin was at 48 or something. And so when he comes in there broadside, I'm like, oh, you're dead. He stops broadside. I pull back. I'm on my knees. I'm crouched by this little tree put that top pin right behind the shoulder and squeeze it off. It breaks, shoots right underneath him. He runs off. I look down. I forgot to use my second pin. I never use my second pin, hardly ever with that setup. It's like, you just, you just seem to like gravitate towards your top pin. So I screwed up. I have the wrong sight for my style of elk hunting. I love the sight for other species, especially whitetail, mule deer, antelope, bear. But for elk, things happen fast when you party with them. And so officially from this day forward, I'm going back to a three or four pin slider, which is what I tell people to do anyways, and follow my own advice. But all I had to do was use my second pin. It was set for his yardage. And I knew that I just, in the heat of the moment, yep. I totally went like subconscious and didn't like stay in the moment. 
And all I had to do was just raise that second pin to the vital V and squeeze. And I really think he would have been smoked. Um, but when I missed that bull, they went and crossed this big Creek and I said, there's 15 minutes of daylight left. And so I knew I was done. I just watched them. They like merged with another herd that came out of another patch of timber. And I saw another herd and another herd and like bull started bugling. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I went too deep. This, I got to hunt close to roads, which is great. And there's elk everywhere in here. Went down to camp, sent you an inreach and said, well, if I had seen you an inreach that morning, I would have said, this place sucks. I'm leaving. Yeah. But luckily the elk led me to more elk. I was able to ride out and, um, that I just found tons of elk. So I sent you an inreach that night saying, I don't know how your Wyoming trip's going right now, but I just found a ton of elk and you had an Idaho tag. I was like, you might want to come up here. Um, and so that's kind of the last message I sent you. How did the rest of your Wyoming go? Yeah. So that's funny. Cause, um, I woke up that next morning with a plan on getting on all these elk that should have been in this basin. So there's no other hunters back there. I'm not seeing any other tracks. I don't know how long it's been since people have been back in there, but there was zero hunting pressure. So I hiked up this ridge and walked around and, you know, at first light, when the sun starts to come up and the sun starts hitting the shade, like elk should be moving. Elk should be up on their feet. They should be moving around. And in that basin, I didn't see a single elk that, that morning. Like I looked around, I glassed, I'm covering tons. I probably put on five miles from that morning until about 11 o'clock. And I went all the way to the top of a ridge, glassed down into another drainage, and I wasn't finding anything. And it was kind of shocking to me. I'm like, there should be elk back here. Like what the heck is going on? And came around, did some more glassing. And basically that entire day, I couldn't find anything to save my life. And I'm doing cold call setups. I'm, you know, calf cow calling down into drainages, trying to get responses and nothing. So on my way back to my spike camp, um, I'm kind of walking around a ridge. And as I'm dropping down, we, we've had bulls come in there. Like well, You've killed in that area. So as I'm coming down, I'm sending out locators, like trying to get responses and nothing. Like it's like dead silent. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, what is going on? Like I should not have to work this hard in September to get a response. And I get all the way down, get to camp. I check my inReach and you give me that info. And I'm like, you know, Maybe it's the weather, maybe it's the temperatures, whatever's going on, but it's like, I'm not seeing anything. And I've covered two huge basins, a huge section of area between there where there's elk. I know there's a spot that I'm not going to go. The elk are going to be in there. The elk are going to come back. It's just not the right time. And I'm thinking, you know what? I can get to my truck, get everything packed up and I can be with Dan in less than half a day. I could drive all night and I'm like, let's just go kill something in Idaho. And on my way out, I actually messaged Drew, one of our other buddies, and he is in Idaho getting ready to come to Wyoming and he's going to a totally new spot he hasn't been to. And we started messaging back and forth and I'm like, well, maybe I'll go, you know, with him. And I'm like, you know what? 
why go to a spot and try to find elk when Dan already has all of these elk found? We know where they are. And I'm like, I'm just driving all night. So I packed up camp and I drove. So you're coming up from Wyoming and you know what? Hindsight being 2020, you made the right call because Drew left Idaho for Wyoming. Yep. Not tagged out. He's hunting Idaho. Tells us he's here at a hundred bugles a day, but the weather's been just rainy. I'm going to go hunt Wyoming. Dude, two days later, he left Wyoming and went back to Idaho because Wyoming sucks. So it wasn't your imagination. Wyoming yeah. was just a late starter wherever you and Drew were hunting on those general tags. It was just a late start this year, um, which is fine. And I guess the lesson there is like, be mobile. Don't overcommit. Don't think your haunts from years past are always going to produce. Yep. Get in, check them, get out. Don't overcommit. You, you guys are doing great things. And yeah. so Drew actually went to Wyoming went there for two days and turned around, went back to Idaho, which was a good decision because he killed and got his bull for the year, which is awesome. So Jake meets back up with me. Again, we're in a brand new area. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm hunting this one bull. He is like an antelope. He lives on top of the baldest mountains. He stays out in the wide open and he covers like five, six miles a day between feeding and bedding. He hardly bugles. I'm not calling. I'm just going to keep ambushing him. Here's where I saw all the elk the night before. I mean, you made good time. And so we just kind of shared a camp and did our own thing. And then I'm just going to fast forward. So I spent 5.5 days hunting that one bull. That's who I wanted to hunt. And his herd size would fluctuate. When I first saw him, he had 17. Uh, and then most of those five days, he had 56 cows yep. and calves. Boy, is that hard. And the most frustrating day, and I have a video clip somewhere in our footage where I got on him at first light per usual, um, because he's in the wide open and all you got to do is hike in, you know, a couple, I'd say 1500 vertical feet, just get to the, get to your trail at an hour before light and just hike at a steady pace, double trackers, get to your glassing spot. As it gets light, he might bugle once or twice or other bulls. You can see him. You can see so far there. And then try to figure out what they're going to do before they do it. And almost every time I guess wrong. Yep. And the other thing I learned about them is if they are going to go do what I think they're going to do, they're three times faster than me at least. So if I'm like, Oh, I'm going to get them at the first pinch, skip the first pinch. If there's a second pinch point, skip that one and wait for them at the third pinch point because they're that much faster than you. They do six miles to your one Yep. effortless. That's what I learned. But anyways, um, after five and a half days of hunting down there, the hunting pressure picked up. I mean, it's no wonder. Like we hit mid-September, we hit a weekend. There's 20 new camps. And I immediately was like, okay, once I started seeing other hunters hunt the same bull as me and like the herd started getting pushed around, I was like, this is not gonna work. So I backed out, went to a completely new spot that was all timbered. It had a horse trail in the bottom, hiking horse trail only. And I was like, this is the ticket. It's all timber. This trail goes back six to nine miles before it links into another trail. There's some nasty cliffed out Canyon stuff in there. It's all timber, few patches. I'm going into these micro meadow systems. So on the 16th, which was day number six or seven in Idaho, um, you went one way. I went another, it had been raining, hailing two or three days straight. Yep. And so we had gumbo roads and I had like 
oh, I don't know, a very small truck drive to my little trailhead. And those roads were nasty. I'm in four wheel drive. I get to the trailhead and I actually don't go on the trailhead. I actually go kind of like a bushwhack way. I just bushwhack up to this ridge that goes high. If you stay on the trail, keeps you in the bottom. And I think it's a magnet for hunters because I kept hearing a lot of hunters bugle off this horse trail on the bottom, mm-hmm. but I didn't see any up high. I hiked from, and it, it had rained all night. So like finally no rain, but the fog was crazy. I hiked till 10 a.m. without hearing a bugle. Uh, and I got to a little vantage five miles back and I get on this vantage and within minutes I see a nice bull with six cows feeding in mountain goat cliffs. And I'm like, wow, didn't take me very long to figure out that, you know, they weren't going to feed towards me, even though they were right across the Canyon from me, they weren't going to feed towards me. And so I was like, oh, I'll just get around to them. Well, there's three big openings I got to cross where they could see me if I cross in the opening. So I'd have to wait for intermittent fog to come in. And anytime there was fog, I would go through an opening. So my stock took like four hours. I would say three of those hours were just waiting for fog crossing. And these elk were feeding late into the morning. And there's one lesson to be learned here, I think. Um, and one of my best bulls I ever killed in Idaho was something similar to this, where it rained all night and in the morning, the wind's going up because the steam, when the wind should be going down because the thermals, the wind was sucking up. And I was able to kill this really nice herd bull in North Idaho by getting above him. Had it been a normal morning, I don't know. First off, I don't know if they would have been out feeding if there hadn't been fog. Number two. I would have never been able to get in front of them the way I did because the wind would have been going down to them, but the wind was going up. I got to kill that bull. So same situation, like the wind's going up early in the morning. Um, didn't matter for me because by the time I got on this herd, it was like almost noon, but I crossed three slides, got on their contour, and then I lost sight of them. Now that I'm on the same side of Canyon as them, this bull hasn't bugled at all. Cows are all up feeding. They're spread out pretty good. They're in cliffs. It's kind of sketch. And so I kind of did a blind stalk and got fairly close to where he was and just started kind of still hunting, take two steps, glassing. And it's steep as all get out. Fast forward, he finally beds and he beds with a couple of the cows, but like he left a couple of them out feeding. So I kind of like get past these cows thinking he's got to be there. Don't see him work my way into a little bit more thicker timber. And sure enough, there he is bedded 120 yards and the timbers pretty wide open. If you can see 120 yards in timber, plus I was above him with the wind. And so anyways, what I ended up doing is I just started stalking him on my butt. It's so steep that all I had to do was just like sit down and I could just slide without like no rocks and just slide 10 yards. And I just kept a tree between me and him slid, slid, slid. Eventually I was within bow range and I wasn't going to shoot him in his bed. The way he was laying down just wasn't, it wasn't good. Um, I could see a few cows with him. Eventually he got up and I thought like, Oh cool. He just got up to rake. Like, I don't know why to show off or whatever, or build some self-esteem. He started raking 48 yards for me, ranged him, dialed to the exact yardage, picked the right pin, heart shot him. And then he fell over in 20 yards. 
And then he slid about a hundred yards dead. <laughs> and then when I pulled his guts out, those guts almost made it down to the bottom of the canyon. It was insane. Uh, so steep. That was a really tough, like butchering job. I send you an inreach because I'm like, dude, I don't know how I'm going to get this out by myself. Jake's pretty strong and fit. I'm just like bull down. Here's the waypoint. And I get to work and I keep my head down. Takes me a couple hours to butcher an elk by myself. And then when it's steep like that, it takes me maybe even a little bit longer, but I got all the meat butchered up and then I've, um, couldn't go the way I came. So I had to drop down to the bottom of the Canyon and just walk the Creek out. So I had enough time to take all the loose meat and my gear down to the bottom, go back up and grab a hind quarter, come back down. I left the loose meat hanging at the Creek, grabbed all my gear and my gear is in a Numa dry bag. So I pulled everything out of my backpack and stuffed into a dry bag. So I have a hind quarter on my back. I got my bow in my right hand and I have a dry bag with 30 pounds of hunting gear. And I'm like doing a farmer's walk four miles minimum guaranteed. I didn't get to the end of that Creek to a road until like, Oh, dark 30. And then my truck was parked so far from that road. I had to walk another mile and a half. I didn't get back till like 10 o'clock at night. And all I had to show for it was one hind quarter. <laughs> and, uh, I'm just like doing the math and I'm like, okay, basically that's three hours up and then two hours down. If you walk fast with me, that's five hours per trip. I'm not that fit. That's going to be four more trips, 20 hours. Okay. So I called my wife and I'm like, Hey, I got a bull. Um, just got an inreach from Jake. He's in Spokane. Something bad happened. He crashed on his bike. Um, I'm going to not be home for a couple of days. And when I do get home, I'm going to need like an IV and the biggest amount of food. What happened to you? Cause when I got your inreach, I'm not going to lie. Like I cried myself to sleep because yeah. I realized, I mean, I know I'm fit and I'm trained for this, but I also knew like, Dude, that's just, that was just going to be a, that was a dumb idea to shoot a bull that far by yourself. I yeah. thought I had your help and you were gone. What yeah. happened? Yeah. So in, when we were actually scouting, so I've, I've crashed previously in the season and messed up uh, my right wrist. And, um, when I met up with Dan, um, you know, we're kind of, we don't hunt together. Like we, we go separate ways and we're covering more elk. We're not messing each other up. Um, so the whole time, I think I was there three, three, four days hunting and the difference from Wyoming to Idaho, like I'm getting on elk every day, getting on bulls every day there, there is hunting pressure. Um, and it, it affected me a little bit. There was an elk I was on that got boogered by somebody else, but, um, that area I'm riding the dirt bike a lot. And so that last night when it rained that much and the hail, um, I actually, so black Ovis sent us some, uh, their tarp tents. You set up with trekking poles and you can kind of have this shelter. I actually covered my entire body with this thing, like a blanket, like a blanket. <laughs> and, uh, I had it over my head and I'm walking back to camp just in that hailstorm. Um, but we, um, we get back to camp, we get everything set up and at night we come up with a game plan where you're going, where I'm going. And it, uh, it's four thirty-five in the morning when we leave camp ish. I mean, it's in the dark. So we do have really good led headlamps on these bikes, but I have my I have pack. Really good led on my truck. Yeah. You should have taken your truck. <laughs> should have taken the truck and where I was going, I could have drove my truck to get there. Um, 
And looking back now, that would have been way smarter. But truck's got a heater. It's got a radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's warm. And it, you can just pull over. And again, where we're hunting is like not like, like it's just these elk are so close to the road. It's crazy. Yep. Um, but I will say, I never saw anyone kill an elk where we were at. Like nobody. And there's a ton of hunters and there's a ton of elk. I think they have something figured out because these elk were tricky, man. Yeah. They're super smart. The, the dirt bike gives you an advantage to get off the road onto motorcycle roads or onto like Jeep trails where most people don't want to take their vehicles. So we do have an advantage and we can get there faster. Oh, and we're going to um, talk about dirt bikes because yeah. of the sec, the last part of this hunt, but we'll, we'll get um, to that too. So anyways, you, you crashed. What, like how bad? Yeah. How bad? So the, the issue with these trails, so the ruts from the vehicles, you pretty much ride in a rut and you're riding and you're just kind of ping ponging through this rut and you're bouncing back and forth. Well, that morning I crashed twice. The first time it was just in the rut and slid in the mud and just kind of just flopped on the side. And I, I got up and basically wiped the mud off, got everything cleaned up, got the bike started and started going again. And I got there's another section of trails past that and it starts getting kind of rocky. So I got to that section and I start going and I wipe out in second gear, getting ready to go into third gear. And it just completely just flops me on my side, like knocks the wind out of me right onto my pack. I got mud on my face and I'm just like this terrain and the weather. And this is just not going to work on the bike. So I actually picked the bike up and I had to get the mud out of like the sprockets and the tires and where the swing arm is in the back, just because there's so much mud packed in there. That's probably part of the reason why I crashed. Oh, definitely. But I, I, I do a 180 and I go back to camp and I'm like, you know what? I'm thinking to myself, there's no way Dan's going to be hunting in this crap. And I'm like, this sucks. So I like, have you met me? I, I'm dumb. <laughs> I start packing up camp, get everything loaded up. And my, my right arm, it, my wrist is messed up so bad. I had to back the truck up and I have like a rack system that goes in your receiver hitch. Like I couldn't push the bike up into the rack. So I had to back up and the truck slides down towards like this Creek in the mud. And then I put the ramp out and it was just a shit show. Now, historically in your younger years, you broke both wrists riding. I, you're that guy. Yeah. I, so you I, already <laughs> have prior injuries. You probably don't have the world's best wrists. Yeah. And then you crash. You're like, I need to go home and get x-rays and get everything checked out. I'm out. And you sent me an inreach saying like, I'm out, dude. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm injured. So I was, I didn't have contact with you. Yep. I'm worried about you just as your friend. Like, I don't want you to be hurt, especially for hunting. Like hunting's not worth getting injured. And, um, so I wake up the next morning and this is why like, I just give all glory to God. I mean, like seriously, I just think things happen for a reason. Um, yeah, not kinda, a coincidence for sure. I, I pack my entire camp up and I want to move my, my trailer. I want to move it from where I'm at because more rain's coming and I'm wondering, I'm like, well, if Jake made it out, maybe I can make it out. Cause we kind of camped in a steep Canyon section so I move my truck before I go pack me. I just want to get my truck staged to where. So I drive up this steep thing and I get up, up to a spot where like, I know for sure I can get out and I drop my trailer off. And then these guys pull up guy jumps out and says, what's up damn from milkshape. Now I don't like people 
to like know that I'm hunting in a specific unit, but I'm also okay with it. Like at the end of the day, I'm just an elk hunter, man. Like if elk shape goes away, you can't get rid of me. I love elk hunting. That's what I live for. Um, I look up and I kind of recognize the guy's face and he's like, yo, Dan, it's me. I went to your elk shape camp in Wisconsin and I'm like, are you kidding me? And he's like, no. And I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Um, he's like, what's going on? And so I'm like, well, I'll just move in my camp. I got to go get this bull out. And he's like, well, we just got here. Why don't, uh, why don't we help you? How much meat's left? And I'm like, I've only gotten one hindquarter out and there's four more bags and it's really far. And I don't think you want to help me. I'm pretty sure you guys should just go hunting. And he's like, no way, dude, we just got here. It would be cool. And so I was like, all right, man, I'll tell you what, you guys help me pack this out. I'll tell you pretty much everything I've learned about this area in the last six days. And so that's what we did. The four of them. So two twin brothers, um, I'm forgetting their names, which is, I'd have to look it up, but, um, two twin brothers and one of their cousins and their cousins and their friend from Colorado don't even like go hunting. They take their time. They hike the three hours in load up the elk with me and the rack. And we all hike it all the way out. Unbelievable. I met them at like seven in the morning and I'm back at my truck with all my meat in the cooler, ready to go. And obviously I'm like trying to repay them in any way I can. Like, do you want any elk meat? Um, they're like, no, I'm like, okay, do you guys like black rifle espressos? They're like, yes, here you go. Do you want some wilderness athlete hydrate recover? Here you go. Um, and then I made him give me his on X. I gave him several places to go check out that would be fruitful. And I did hear from him afterwards. They had the best elk hunt of their life. They didn't get an elk. And these guys are just trying to kill any elk. It's cow or bull. And they didn't get it done. They didn't get any shots, but they had the best week of elk hunting they've ever had. And I'm so, I'm just like, God was looking out for me because I just don't know, man, that would have been, I could have done it, but it just would have been, I mean, it was so cool to be home that evening pretty late but just tuck my kids into bed yeah and to be able to get that meat hanging in my buddy's cooler yep and when you really think about it like yeah you don't want anybody to know where you're hunting but we're teaching people how to hunt we're teaching people how to e-scout if somebody that went to your camp ended up hunting somewhere close to where you were at least you know they were paying attention. Yeah. At least you know they were doing good e-scouting. They did do a good job. And <laughs> I do, you should have seen the look on their face when they saw where this bull died. They were like, what? Are you like, you, you hunting in here? I'm like, yeah, man. Like hunting pressure was thick. This is where I thought the elk would try to get away. And by the way, the bull that I killed, there was a hunter probably a half mile away or so as the crow flies, but he was in the bottom of this canyon bugling, cow calling nonstop. This bull never once made a peep. And, um, that's the second bull of the year in both basically ambush or spot and stock. I do prefer not calling, mm -hmm. but I'm going to talk about calling because we have another bull to talk about. But so I am home now. You are home now. Yep. And I am basically taking a break from hunting. I spent two full days. Like I was gone for a long time. So pouring through gear, getting ready for Montana, reducing my load of all the stuff I have, cleaning the blood, getting the meat hanging at my buddy's cooler. I like to hang my meat for two weeks. I like to butcher myself. That's my preference. Getting all dialed and everything. And so finally, 
on my dad's birthday, which is the 22nd, I was like, I had, I took my kids to school in the morning. Uh, it was donuts with dad at their school. It was really cool. And then I was packed and ready and I was headed to Montana and I was going to Montana with, with the mindset of like, I just want to enjoy the hunt. I am, I already have two bulls down. My family can eat two bulls, by the way, there will be people that will tell me, um, gosh, I'm trying to think some of the, uh, I kill for content or who need, who, who can eat two elk a year or three? I've been, I've, I've heard people say that, or you're taking t- opportunities away from others. Or, um, the bottom line is, is these, all the tags I get every year, like this isn't the first time I've killed three bulls in a year. Um, I hope it's not the last. And, uh, you'd be surprised how much elk meat, a, um, a little fit family can go through. Plus I do like to fill up any friends freezers that need it or my mom, especially, or my sisters, uh, anyone. And, um, I've also been able to donate meat in the past, back when I owned a gym, I would usually take like, if I did get three bulls in a year, I would take like half of that third bull, bring it to the gym and give that to people who don't even hunt, but are into fitness and show them the benefits of hunting. And, um, whether you agree with that or not, I just remember, I don't care what you think. I know people hate hearing that they want me to care what they think, but I don't, um, and so I was stoked to be out. I was just, my goal was to have some good experiences. It didn't matter if I killed or not. I just wanted to really like soak in the last six days of September. Um, I didn't have a lot of plans to hunt in October with everything we're doing right now. Currently, like we're, we're, we're remodeling my basement. We're adding a lean to my wife wants to remodel the master bathroom. I need a GoFundMe account. Um, we're moving my office upstairs. We're, um, we're basically creating a filming studio, um, podcast studio. I sold my cabin in Idaho. So like all my trophies and stuff got to go into my shop. And, um, there's just a lot going on with life. And I just knew I didn't have any business going hunting in October and I am fair weathered. Yeah. I like September cause it's warm. Mm-hmm. I'm serious. Well, I will say last year I was in shape this year. I'm leaner than I was last year. Damn, I'm getting cold easy. <laughs> yeah, that's the, so that's the downfall of being lean and mean is you can get cold easy. But so I'm out um, heading to Montana. I've made comms with you. You're licking your wounds. Yep. Your plans to come back out on the 24th and either go to Wyoming or Idaho. You got tags in both. Um, so you took a pretty long break, like the 16th, you went home in the morning and you're not yep. going out till the 24th the afternoon. So that's like almost, that's a full week. Yep. Kind of a an important week of elk hunting. Do yep. you have any regret staying home that long, or do you feel like that was necessary to heal up? Um, I I don't honestly. So I haven't had. So my birthday is the 18th, and I haven't spent my birthday with my kids in I don't know how long. So I came home and saw both my daughters, um, did some stuff with my birthday, saw my family, um, you know, saw some people in town that I wanted to. And it took me two days to go through gear, dry stuff out, get things organized and get everything loaded back up. And the only thing that I found that would work good for my wrist is I just had to just keep it taped up and I would just ice it and it was kind of fine. But, um, I went through all my stuff and got everything ready and took stuff out that I know, Hey, I didn't use this. I don't need this and kind of thin things out. Um, and the night of me leaving, Somehow you got cell phone service and I remember you, you texting me or calling me and, um, there were some issues with your four wheeler. 
Oh yeah. And basically you're on foot. You don't have a machine. And I'm like thinking to myself, that's not going to work for how we hunt and what we need to do. And I'm like, you know what? If I just grab the trailer, then I can grab your bike, throw my bike in the trailer. And I'm like, that's a good excuse for me because loading the bikes in the trailer is way easier than putting it on the back of my truck. So I grabbed the trailer, both so bikes. it's my fault you're coming to Idaho, basically. I I actually wanted to come to Idaho based off of our hunting experience there that we just left. And my plans were go to Idaho, put something on the ground, whatever that was. Like, I, I don't need to shoot a trophy. There's a place where we could store meat while I was hunting in Wyoming. And then I would come back, pick both bulls up, come home. That That was my plan. Um, I really only wanted to get one bull, but I had a plan for both tags. So, well, here I am in Montana with a four wheeler, which is like a honestly kind of a treat because it's got four wheels, um, and you know, really bright headlights, and it's just a nice, comfortable ride. And my first, I make it there, and I got time for an evening hunt. And I take it up this road that I really would never want to take my truck up this road. Now I have taken my truck up this road, kind of regretted it, but it's just this nasty two track, you know, Jeep road and in Montana. And and I got up there, got off. It's snowing, hailing. I'm like, great, more bad weather. And I'm glassing and I can't, I finally decided I'm like, okay, nothing's going to be out in this weather. Walk back to my four wheeler and all the oil is on the ground. Somehow, some way, my, my four-wheeler heated up, crushed a gasket for the cap where the oil filter goes, and all my oil drained out. So now I'm on the top of a mountain, can't really drive your four-wheeler, and I got a couple of uphill sections before I can coast down. So I just kind of went for it, man. This is kind of cringeworthy, but I started up my four-wheeler with probably hardly any oil in it and kind of shook it a little bit to kind of distribute the oil as best I could. And just limped my way to the highest point, then cut it, put it in neutral, coasted it as far as possible, got off of it. And I was like, okay, we got three more miles. Looks like we're walking, walked, saw this dude. I don't know why he wasn't hunting. Cause there was still a little bit of daylight left and he was at his camp. And I just said, Hey, would you mind giving me a ride to my truck? My four wheeler broke down. He said, yes, gives me a ride on his Honda 300 four wheeler. That was scary. <laughs> that thing's not designed to ride passengers. Made it to my truck, got to my truck, drove my truck to the four-wheeler, and then had to push my four-wheeler into the trailer, and I'm not hunting this area. I didn't know you were going to be able to meet up with me. I'm like, okay, I need to find somewhere where I can just hunt from the truck. And so I was moving locations, got cell service, got a hold of you. You're like, I'll bring you your dirt bike. And then I was like, sweet. So we met up, and I got the dirt bike from you, and then we parted ways. You went to Idaho. I went to Montana. Yep. Um, and then I'll just kind of keep this brief because the main point I have a couple of main points I want to talk about, like, le- like lessons learned from this year that I want people to know about. And we kind of pride ourselves on being extremely transparent because just want to know people that we're real dudes. Um, so I was able to go to a brand new area in Montana. I spent, um, an entire day glassing and hiking and sound checking really good out country. And, um, uh, kind of was depressed, man. Because after an entire day, I'm sitting on a vantage. It's I'm losing light, and I'm like, "How is there not elk here? This is the elkiest of elkiest places. I haven't heard a bugle, haven't seen an elk." And I'm like packing my stuff up. I'm packing my spotter away, and I hear it. I hear a dinosaur, and it's not far from me. It's like at the end of this canyon. I'm at the mouth of it. I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" 
I got just 15 minutes and I'm like, I got to at least get eyes on this thing. I'd leave my gear and I sprint down this mountain with my bow just in case. And I go down probably close to a mile. So I got like five minutes of daylight left, barely. And I throw up the glass. I got the bull that just made the sound. I got two of his satellites, three cows, drop a pin. I'm like, I'm hunting them here in the morning and I'm out. And it was like, yay, I got a bull to hunt tomorrow. And he looks like a decent bull, man. Like I got just a quick glimpse of him. Looked like a mainframe six. I was like, sweet. And his satellite, both satellites were just covered in mud. They'd been wallowing. And I was like, okay, there's got to be a wallow in here. This is cool. What I had to do was like, they were feeding kind of towards me where I was glassing and the wind was getting iffy. So I had to back out, do like a two mile loop around, get to back to my gear. And then when I'm at my gear, I'm about a mile from a road and there's a guy camped in his like truck with like a topper and I can see his lights on and I'm like, okay, I can't turn my headlamp on. I don't want him to, this is me being a public land hunter. I'm like, I don't want him to know that like there's elk here or there. I was just paranoid. I'm like, I don't want him to know that anyone's hunting here. Yeah. So I walk through a mile and a half of sage, bust my shins, no headlamp. It's dark. There's no moon. Make it back to the truck past his camp sleep there for the night. And the next morning, dude, like in the dark, I hiked exactly where I left him, And I hear the bulls distinct dinosaur bugle in the dark. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's like almost right where I left him. So what that means is they went to go feed, they fed, they got water and then they're already coming back to bed and it's not even daylight left. And I'm like going to intercept them. And this is like the best news ever. As it's getting light, I see him. I see his lead cow satellites are gone. It's just him and the ladies and they're coming and there's just, all I got to do is just stay parallel with them. He'll never get my wind because I'm across the Canyon. It's going down and they're across the Canyon and we're going to, I'm just going to pinch him. Well, the lead cow stops, looks down and I did see a truck kind of driving up this road, but I mean, we're talking miles away, but it was coming. must've been hunters. They got out of their truck or something. They must've known about these elk. This cow picks them off. And she's like gone and the bull follows the cows follow. They go up and over out of sight. I'm like, dang it. I mean, I was five minutes away from knocking up. So what do you do, man? I just go up over that Ridge and I start looking for tracks and I find the elk trail. I find their tracks and he didn't have that many cows. I think he had two cows and a calf and it was him. So it's not like super easy to like find their fresh tracks, especially in this country. When you have that mix of sage and sparse pine timber, I mean, it's like tracking's not the easiest, but luckily they're on an elk trail. I start following it ninja style, come around a corner, get to a small opening. I'm like, all right, I got to be close. Haven't heard any bugles. I look to my left, cow and calf staring right at me. So now I'm panning for the bull. Cow and calf kind of turn around and like trot off fast, but not like barking. Bull hears them. He bugles. He's a hundred yards below them. I know that he doesn't know what I am. So I bugle, he bugles, I bugle. And now I'm dropping down to his level to make it easier for him to come kick my ass. He heads towards his cows. He sees their body language. He realizes they're spooked. He shuts up. Guess what? I'm back to following tracks. I don't give up. I follow their tracks until I hit a saddle about a mile up and then I lose their tracks in this sage saddle. And now I have four or five fingers and timber patches to pick and I got all day. You know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to go to every one of them and call cow call bugle, whatever it takes. Long story longer is I get to the final timber patch and it's big. It's vast. It's steep. It's probably a thousand feet up that thousand feet down. Let out a couple calls. I get two bulls to answer across the Canyon. These are not the bulls I'm hunting. And then the bull I was hunting does his dinosaur bugle. He's right up above me. Check the wind still coming down. It's almost 11 AM, which is kind of a miracle that the wind's still going down, but this side is West facing. So it, it gets sunlight only in the afternoon. It stays dark and cold and the thermals kick in that late down. So it's kind of like sweet. I get right underneath them. And then solo elk calling is hard. It's very nuanced. I've done it a lot. I try to do it sparingly um, because it's difficult. And a lot of your shots end up being frontals and I hate frontals. So I get them worked up with the cow calls. I haven't introduced a bugle. I close the distance. I'm about a hundred yards from him. I turn on my GoPro, my head camera, get my phone on. And I'm like, all right, guys, I've been on this bull all morning. I'm on a hundred. He's answering every time I cow call. Here we go. Cow call. He bugles. I bugle. He didn't like that. He was aggressive. He was hot. As soon as I did that, I moved up probably 50, 60 yards. Somewhere along that move up, I did one more bugle. And then I just kind of like set up off that last sound, which you have to do most times as a solo hunter. So I set up like I'm a caller and a shooter. So I made my last call. I sneak up and I'm not trying to break a stick. And this is where I am sneaky. And I'm trying to sneak and do a, a position to shoot off that hang up spot. And sure enough, he comes over the top bugling comes down He's kind of looking towards where that last sound made. I cow call stop him 18.9, take the shot. It was a quartering two shot, but I was able to go through, I actually ended up going through part of his scap, like the lateral side, the thin side, in through a rib, in through a lung, in through liver, out the guts into, well, majority of the arrow, it broke, but the majority of the arrow into a tree. I couldn't even get the broadhead out of the tree. So that was using an, um, an iron, uh, no, I used the Grim Reaper Micro Hades three blade on that bull. He goes 20 yards downhill, hits a log, tries to jump the log, trips, hits the ground, never to get up again. Bull down. What do I do? Jake, being a state away and hours from me, I send you an inreach. I'm like, hey, I don't know if you're in it, like how your hunting's going, but I got another bull down and uh, this pack out's going to be bad. And if you want to join me, here's my location. And Jake, this is where you're just a true good friend. It took me two hours to get that bull completely broken down, quartered up, bagged up, hanging, head, teeth. And then I hear, and I look up and you are there. I don't know how the hell you, did you, did you use a helicopter? I mean, you were hours away and in another state. You must've been by your truck or something to just throw everything aside for me, drive hours and then hike in out. Like, I don't know how long was the drive? Like at least an hour, hour yeah. and a half. Yeah. So actually when I got my energy, we ha usually when me and Dan are hunting together, it's like, Hey, we're going to have a check-in time at nine. We'll have a check-in time at one. And we just turn on our inreaches at certain times and that's it. Like we don't have these things on all the time. So to have it on at 11, like it was early to have it on, 
But um, I was stalking a herd, trying to shoot a bull, and kind of got busted. That got messed up, and I was actually like on my way back to camp to go hunt another herd when I got your message. So I'm on my way back to my camp already, and I'm like, okay. So got to the truck, got everything loaded up, got to you, and hiked in. And like when I was hiking in, I'm like having to look on Onyx. I'm looking at where your longitude, latitude, and I'm just like, this is like cliffy, steep, and like, I I know I'm within a couple hundred yards of you, and like, that's why I was whistling, because I was like, I don't see you. Yeah. I was like, I don't know where you are. <laughs> well, long story short is we two-tripped that bull, and um, the, the rest of the day was done. I mean, we didn't get, we didn't get to bed till midnight, um, but um, we, I basically moved my entire camp to you, and now I'm like, hey... I can totally help you hunt. I can call for you. I can take pictures. Um, I can spot animals for you or whatever you need. Like I'm here to help you. I'd love to pay you back. You've helped me pack out two bulls this year. Um, the Wisconsin guys saved my ass on another pack out. Like I'm just really fortunate and I'm, I want to like give back to you. So move camp set up next to some really cool guys from uh, Pennsylvania and these guys were awesome. They're hunting right where you were and pretty familiar country for you. Like you've been hunting this spot, you know it well. And, uh, we went in and we immediately like we're into elk, but I'm just going to get to the end because this is really like lessons learned, full transparency, things like that. So I'm not hunting anymore. I'm tagged out. I'm helping Jake calling for you is hard. You've never had anyone call for you before. We learned that the hard way. I'm not going to throw you under the bus completely, but, <laughs> but I did call in a nice bull for you. Um, and as my shooter, I need to put a leash on you because you moved away from where I thought you were. That bull would have been dead seven ways to Sunday, but you moved up and I didn't know it. So I called him into between us. Um, I got great footage of him and uh, you didn't get a shot, and we just kind of, we're still trying to figure out that caller, shooter, and, and you don't call much anyway, so, um, no. and you don't need my help, but it was just where we were hunting, timber, would have been cool, um, but I'm just going to fast forward to the last morning, the last morning of our hunt together, and um, I don't know, basically, like, if a lot of people would talk about this, but like my policy is transparency and I want people to learn. And so basically I'm going to say we made a big mistake definitely. Um, and I want you guys to not make this mistake. And so the first thing I'm going to say is like, okay, we're going in on a legal dirt bike trail legal to ride. In fact, there was guys on KTMs the day before riding this trail for fun and it's open year round and it's on on X. So it's legal to ride dirt bikes, horses on this trail. And to be honest with you, F that trail. I'm never riding it again for many reasons, but mainly because for my own safety. Um, but this trail new to me open to dirt bikes. So we are riding up this trail in the dark and we make it a hundred yards and you snap your right foot peg off your dirt bike. And I remember like, Hey, do you want to like turn around and like just park the bikes and do something different? And you're like, no, I mean, we saw a bunch of elk in here. I can ride with one foot peg and I'm like, okay, what uh, shouldn't we have turned around at this point? Hindsight now. 
probably that would have been a good idea. So the this peg has two bolts in it. One of the bolts broke, so now the peg is like hinging down. So I picked it up, wedged it up, and there's there's probably five bulls two miles from where we are. And we know where they are. We know like their patterns. And I'm just like at that point, like I'm seeing red. I'm like, I am shooting something. Idiots. Idiots. <laughs> Idiots. I'm going to take blame for as much of this as I can. Um, so Jake's like, no, I want to keep going. So, okay. Well, two miles later, I see Jake's headlight going one way. I see Jake's headlamp going another way. Jake crashes again. And I get up to him and you're not in the mood for any help. I'm like, do you need help picking up your bike? How's your bow? And you're just pissed off because you about you just crashed again and you get the bike. I'm like, hey, man, let's not ride any further. Like, let's just hike in from here. This isn't safe. We had a great morning. We're in on some great bulls. It was like 1300 vertical up. We did a big, long seven mile loop and got a few bulls to talk to after like, after they all went to bed. But you were like, Hey man, I need to ride out in the light. Like I got to, you know, safety first. I need to get, I need to ride out and we can just hunt, you know, from the truck. I was like, that's cool. Yeah. The biggest thing I wanted to shoot my bow, make sure my bow was, was dialed, was okay. The bike being kind of messed up. I'm thinking, man, this is going to suck to do in the dark again. I'm like, let's just go out daylight we'll come up with another plan <laughs> yeah so uh we get back to the bike um i'm loaded up and i'm like all right jake um you got this you're like yeah i'm like well take your time uh if i don't see you at the truck i'm gonna turn around and come look for you so i'm bebopping on this trail and this trail is so nasty that i basically i've decided that speed is your ally like i gotta keep it in second gear and i gotta keep it i gotta keep it goosed uh the second i slow down or coast like a rock's gonna flip me or i'm gonna go flying off this trail and I always kind of say a prayer on this trail, like it was just that morning, like it was terrible. And I just, I hate this trail. Um, and I do want to mention, this is like the most important part of the story was the night before we went in this trail in the afternoon or in the evening and you rode by a guy who was walking in and his four wheelers parked at the trail. And I stopped to talk to him cause I wanted to make sure we weren't hunting the same elk. Uh, and he was this younger guy, younger than me. Um, good looking dude. Um, no homo, but just like a nice clean cut, cool kid. And he's probably in his twenties or thirties. I'm not sure. And, um, I'm like, Hey man, what's up? What's your plan? Like, I don't want to like, he's hunting up there and, and I'm with him and do where are you going? He's like, well, my buddy found these elk up here bedded and uh, he dropped me a pen. So I'm, and I'm like, let me look at that. I'm like, okay, yeah, we're not going on that side. We're going to go on the other side. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I got another mile to go. And I'm like, sweet man. Well, if you get one, let us know. We can help you pack it out. It's pretty bad in here. He's like, cool. And he's like, oh, I don't think you're supposed to have dirt bikes on this trail. And I, I didn't, I was like, what? I'm like, yeah, of course you can. Like, I just saw guys riding KTMs on here for fun yesterday. I know I said that to him. And he was like, no, I think you can only ride in to bring a camp in or to pack meat out. And I'm like, oh, the non-motorized rule, which I'm very, you know, very familiar with, but apparently not familiar enough in this new area to us. And I was like, I don't think so. I just, based on the maps and everything, I, I was like, I don't think so. He was like, oh, okay. And so I was like, all right, well, good luck. That happened the night before. I didn't know um, that we were in the wrong and we were in the wrong. Well, you were in the wrong because you're hunting on a dirt bike. Yep. I'm not hunting, so I can ride this trail to do whatever I want. Even if I'm wearing camel, as long as I don't have a bow and I'm not big game hunting, I can ride this trail year round. I can even grouse hunt off this trail 
legally. I can ride a camp in, park my bike next to my camp, hunt for a week, load up my camp and ride out like I did earlier in the hunt legally. Uh, you can kill an elk and try to ride, try to ride meat out of this trail. Although I don't recommend that I would in this area, I just hike meat out. It's yeah. so sketch, but I didn't think of that. So this young man apparently was upset. And obviously if we're breaking the rules, I, I don't blame him. Um, so he goes back into town. I, he had to drive into town that night and he calls fishing game and reports that there are dirt bikers riding in and out. Okay. So that happened. The next morning, Jake breaks the bike. We have a good hunt. We ride out in the afternoon. I'm almost to the end of the trail and a game warden jumps onto the trail from behind a tree right in the middle of the road. And I got to like lock it up. And he basically says, Hey, how's it going? Are you hunting? I said, no, I'm not. And as soon as I said that, he was like, Oh, okay. And I was like, all right. And he's like, is there anyone else hunting back there? And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, there is. Um, and he's like, how many? And I'm like, Oh, just one, my friend, Jake. And uh, I said, he's coming out. He's behind me. Kind of, I think he, you know, he broke his bike. So he's trying to ride with one peg and this game warden was cool. He's like, Oh, I have the same bike as you. I've ridden this trail once. I'll never ride it again. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like we're done with this trail after today. He's like, cool. Well, I'll just wait to talk to your buddy. Um, have a good day. And I was like, okay. And I thought nothing of it. I ride to camp. Now I'm waiting for you. Cause I just want to make sure you get your carcass out of there because that trail man. And I don't see you. What I see is a game warden coming out in his truck and he pulls up next to me and I'm just sitting in a chair, like hoping you're okay. He gets out and he's holding your license and your tag. And I'm like, Hmm, something's wrong. And he's like, Hey, I know you're not hunting, but do you know the motorized rules for this unit? And I'm like, well, you tell me, apparently maybe I don't. And he's like, no, I want you to explain it to me. And I'm like, okay, any area that's closed, you can ride in a camp as long as you're like, have a camp on the back, uh, or you can ride out meat in part of your guys's travel plan on a closed road. And I said, but that's not always necessarily the case because some units are closed roads and you cannot ride a camp in and you cannot and I'm not very sure on this area that my buddy's hunting. And he's like, well, this area, which by the way, isn't my area. I'm just on my day off coming in because we got a call and no one was available in this particular area. This motorcycle trail is open year round. If you want to ride it for fun, if you're not hunting or if you're small game hunting, but the second you're big game hunting, the only time you're on this trail is if you're riding into camp or riding out from your camp, your spike camp, and you should probably leave your bow at that camp, he said, or you're packing out meat on this trail. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I'm like, so is he in trouble? And he's like, well, we'll see. I got to talk to the reporting party. And I was like, okay, well, then you roll up, you get off your bike and I can tell immediately something's probably broken on you. Your bow has no stabilizers. They're all snapped off. Every arrow is broken in your quiver and you're holding your arm at an angle, which looks like your shoulders broken or your elbows broken. And you're a grown ass man crying. And I'm like, 
not even worried about the game more at this point. I'm like, are you okay? No, you're not. You look at me and you're like, I can't pull my bow back. My bow's effed. Um, I went off a cliff, hurt my arm. I can't straighten it out. My hunt's done. Plus you got the game warden right here. And we just got called in. And I say we, because extreme ownership. I love Jocko. I love the fact that like, to me, Jake, like I, you look, probably look up to me when it comes to elk hunting and I should know the ins and outs of every square inch where we're at this unit. I didn't know the exact travel plan routes. I should have done my due diligence, which is why I'm openly talking about it on a podcast because I don't want people to make the same mistakes. I well, want to get to it, your story. Your yeah, side just, of the just so, um, just so you guys know, there is signs that are posted on this trail too. And they all talk about like, wear your helmet, be safe. Like this sign is definitely designated as a motorcycle trail. There's nothing that says, oh, by the way, these things, because if we would have seen that, like that would have been a huge red flag, but seeing other people on the trail riding and those signs, it's like, I have no question that this is a motorized trail. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, so I want to talk about these things that people can learn from. So on page 104 of the Idaho fishing game, uh, rules and regulations, you, they have a motor use vehicle map that you can get for free, which I have copies of just not for this unit, which I should have. That's my mistake because I could like Jake, obviously you should help yourself. Like this is your hunt. your like this, your spot that I'm in. You should have known the rules, you bastard. And now I'm going to get, my name's going to (laughs) get smeared as like, but the bottom line is, is I still take responsibility because like I should help check you out. Um, but units 29, 30, 38, 32, 32A, 36A, 37, 37A, 45, 47, 49, 50, 51, 52, 58, 53, 56, 58, 59, 59, a 66, 66, a 69, 70, 72, 73, 75, 76, 77, and 78 of Idaho have restricted units. The motorized hunting use restriction applies to these specific units. So you can do some math and figure out that we are in one of those units. And in those units, this rule applies. So dirt bike trail open legal. Yes, but not if you're big game hunting. What if you're with the guy who's big game hunting and you don't have a bow and you're just calling or whatever? Well, you're not going to get a ticket, which is why I did not get a ticket. You did not get an actual infraction ticket, but you did get a written warning. And that is what happened. And I want you guys to learn from our mistakes. So what can you do as a hunter? Because like Onyx isn't going to tell you the motor use vehicle map or the, the road restriction plan for each state. That's on you. That's on us to know that. So what we should have done is had motor motor vehicle use maps, like hard copies. You can also use an app called um, Avenza, which I think that stuff's updated. But last I checked, it's like 2016 maps. But I think that's what you have to go off of. Um, you can't go off signs because people tear down signs. And fishing game or forest service aren't going to care if a sign's torn down and you didn't know better, you're still going to be in trouble. Um, and the other thing to think about here is, again, I want to talk about this nuance. You can play the game and put a camp on the back of your bike, but dude, don't do that. Like put a camp on your back. If you're actually riding in a camp, just, I wouldn't ride that trail with a camp that I would never be able to do that. Um, 
what we should have done is known the rules and I guarantee we just would have walked in there because that trail's not like putting a spike camp in, dude, I would have just hiked a spike camp in. I wouldn't ride one on the back of my bike, but yeah. you could, you can legally ride in with a camp on your back. Um, you can legally ride elk quarters or meet out and not get a ticket. You can legally grouse hunt. So you could say you're grouse hunting and they got to prove you're not. But again, I would just do things black and white. Bottom line is though, I don't want anyone to get this construed in different, like we were both in the wrong because of this. And if you hate me or think I'm a loser, that's fine or whatever. But I do want those that don't or do to learn from um, this mistake. So um, get your motor vehicle use maps ahead of time, study those up, um, maybe even mark them on Onyx. The Venza app, I don't have it, but I'm sure like that's fine as well. Um, and then know those rules for in the hunt plans. And the reason why they're doing this in this area is to make the elk hunting harder, according to the officer. He's like, we want this to be a harder hunt in here. That's why we limit the motor use vehicle. Um, again, if you wanted to ride this trail for fun, like you could ride it, leave your bow behind and ride it. But the second you're glassing, uh, he said glassing or making a move on animals, you're using the bike in a not an area you're not allowed to for hunting. Very good lesson to learn. Um, so let's get to the end here. So you're back at camp. Um, the officer's at our camp. He's writing you up a written warning. Your bow's broken. Your arm's not quite broken. All your arrows are broken. You're crying. You're in pain. You're frustrated. And um, I know you're a good dude, but you've made a big mistake. And I'm with you, so I'm guilty by association. What's going through your mind? Yeah, no, it went from a bad situation to worse. So, like, when I crashed the bike off a cliff down 20 feet in the rocks below, it took me forever to get down there, get the bike flipped back over to get back just to get a game warden to tell me I'm doing something wrong. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? So we get back to camp, and I instantly, like, pack off, get off the bike, go get some painkillers, some water, and I'm just like the the two guys from uh, that were camping next to us, yeah. Pennsylvania guys, come over and they're like, oh, they're like they could tell something's wrong. Um, one guy is kind of looking at my arm, so basically huge knot on my leg. Um, my arm is messed up pretty bad. I can't open my hand or close my hand. Something with the tendons are all bunched up, knotted up, like it's it's jacked up. Um, my arrows are snapped. I have broadheads coming through the top of my quiver that are on my backpack that are right behind my head and no I don't have a helmet on so that's going to change in the future so there was all these things and then just to get written up and um, a, a warning explained that basically I'm doing something wrong and I knew after I crashed that we were coming home before even dealing with the game warden I knew that the hunts over were coming home based off of my injuries and I'm like no this this isn't going to happen. So that was just, you know, something on top of it. But we get back to camp, and after um, the game warden leaves, like I, I can't even load my truck by myself. Like you're having to help me put stuff into my truck. And I'm like, you know, this is not worth it. And, um, you know, the drive back home, you know, it kind of sucks. But um, coming home and get everything unloaded and, you know, I didn't go get anything x-rays and it's still, you know, not a hundred percent, but 
Um, it is what it is, and it's not worth getting hurt that bad during hunting. So there's people that care about me that I care about and kids, and it's like, you know, making better decisions and coming up with better plans on how to get into spots like that. So, like, we're already planning on going back into some of these spots. We're just going to be doing it differently. Yeah, and, um, you know, nobody play me a fiddle. I don't feel sorry for you or me. I do think things happen for a reason. And I'm like, I think some people would try to hide this or whatever. For me, I think it's like, dude, this is a lesson learned and we could share this with other people in our platform. And if you know, I think people that have followed us or watch our stuff and, and you've gotten to know us like, dude, we're straight shooters. Like we just, you know, for better or worse, some people will like us, some people won't and that's okay. But like, yeah. I think all of us hunters need to do, I'm just basically going to preach to myself for a second in your position, Daniel. You need to know the ins and outs, even if you're not hunting and you're with somebody who's hunting um, because your reputation and um, because you don't want like that poor guy that we drove by, like he was probably pissed off at us and um, man, like apologies to him. Like, sorry, bro. Like we could have walked in and, um, you know, we should have known the rules and that's our bad and, and I apologize to you. And I hope, you know, I hope you got a big bull. Um, never did see it to help us pack out, but I hope you got one. And I always hope everyone gets one. I'm yeah. not the guy who's like trying to elbow and jockey like and, and do things to other hunters. I, I got lots of respect for hunters. People are there on their vacation, their hard-earned vacation. They spend a lot of money to be there. And so I feel bad. And again, I already said the units in Idaho that that rule applies. Make sure you understand it's on page 104, 105 of the fishing game. You have to look at your unit and see if the motorized, non-motorized rule applies Motor vehicle use maps are free from, I think like fishing game, but mostly like, like forest service. Like I've called, that's how I got them is I just called and had them. They just mailed them to me for free. And then, um, so Onyx had that map open as a dirt bike trail and it is, but it's not, it's a non-motorized hunting rule. So fishing game has their own rule that supersedes the national forest rule. Got to know that. And, um, and for those that, um, you know, are maybe surprised by this. I, I mean, I think people break rules a lot of time unknowingly. And I think some people break rules knowingly in this instance, we should have, we should have done our homework or whatever. Um, Jake got a big lesson learned. He's not injured. He can still work and provide for his family. And, um, hopefully you can learn from this. Um, we love elk hunting. We love the public land hustle, the grind. My calendar year has restarted. I'm back to the grindstone. I'm doing off season training, just trying to build up all the losses from hiking 12, 15 miles every day and hunting on a long bender. Um, I know that we're working on a lot of cool stuff here. We have the public land hustle series that will come out. And I guess we're just, I mean, we're transparent on that as well. Everything we've talked about here, you'll see there. Um, we just appreciate you guys that work hard and leverage elk hunting and make disciplined decisions and lead from the front. Thank you. Apologies to anyone that we affected on um, poor decision-making and I will do better. And so will Jake. Separations in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Okay. Well, friends, there you have it. So are you entertained? I'm not sure. Did you learn a lesson? Uh, maybe, maybe not. I think, um, I think this podcast is important. I know that we learned a valuable lesson. I know that the fishing game treated us very well, very respectful. Um, I know Jake has said it before. He's, he's made a mistake. Um, I made a mistake not knowing like, when you're do what I do for work, you got to know that kind of stuff. 
And so there's no excuses on my part. Like I should have been able to correct Jake, but hey, we can't ride this trail, whatever. Even though I wasn't in the wrong and got a ticket, I still believe like I still take responsibility as kind of like the leader of the squad. And um, I think dirt bikes are cool. I definitely think they're only cool if you use them legally. So we were not cool. And the dude who wrote the post on Rockslide and called fishing game on us, I no hard feelings, man. Like I respect your game. I think you know I'm nice in real life because I did come up to you and, and ask you where you were hunting. Wanted to make sure we weren't messing you up. Like, if you look back, like, I was cool, respectful. Like, I I respect you, and I appreciate all hard workers, and um, we'll do better. We will do better. And if um, you need to unfollow us or if you need to get something off your chest, you can reach out. Uh, we do get a lot of messages, but at the end of the day, lessons learned and i think i love fishing game i love idaho especially it's my favorite state to hunt elk i've got a lot of elk experience elk hunting in idaho and i still didn't verify where jake was hunting and i should have thank you for listening have the best day ever we'll catch you on the next one